You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues podcast with your hosts Krishna and Nikhil. In this podcast series, we analyze the various cutting-edge technologies and projects in the field of blockchains, distributed ledger technologies, and cryptocurrencies. Today, we are bringing to you a special episode on the ongoing COVID-19 crisis. As we know, the world is in the middle of dealing with the pandemic that has broken our supply chains and put us on the path to a serious health and economic crisis. So for this episode, we decided to look into where blockchain tech stands in the times of COVID-19 and if it can help us solve certain problems in our fight against this pandemic. With that, you know, before we start off, just a quick note to our audience. Uh, I am situated in Houston, Texas, as of today, March 29th, and Nikhil is located in uh, London, UK. So as of right now, in Houston, the situation stands such that uh, different counties, they have issued stay-at-home orders and work-from-home orders, where uh, you still have, you know, many of the services operating, the essential services. But other than that, uh, you're required to stay indoors. As of right now in the US, New York and California are probably the two places that are hit really bad. And uh, Texas, as of right now, it has not reached there, but it's looking very likely that the cases would spike up sometime, you know, in the next uh, one or two weeks as as more and more testing gets adopted. Nikhil, do you want to give a quick uh, note of what the situation is in London? Sure. Okay. Okay. So, as you said, I'm I'm in London right now. Uh, I was originally supposed to be here for a short time. Now, doesn't look like <laughs> I'll be going anywhere pretty soon. They they've issued a lockdown order, and pretty much a similar situation here. No uh, social distancing and uh, strict uh, orders with the police have uh, powers to. I arrest people who are uh, seen as uh, not doing the vital activities or or who are not part of the key work- workers uh, designated key workers uh, to keep the country running uh, so the UK uh, right now is at uh, around a thousand a little more than a thousand deaths and around 17,000 cases uh, London is the hardest hit uh, with a uh, significant portion of those cases and deaths uh, being reported out of London. The grocery stores and uh, the uh, supply food supply chain is under a lot of stress and uh, yeah it is it is a serious situation and uh, there is a lot of concern. Uh, amongst everybody and not uh, one of the interesting things about this particular pandemic has been at least in the UK that it has hit everybody so we have the PM uh, Boris Johnson who has uh, been tested positive we have the health secretary uh, and uh, quite a few of the uh, senior leadership the government leadership in uh, uh, in the UK as well as some of the royalty like Prince Charles uh, has also been tested positive for coronavirus so uh, yeah this is this is something that is definitely concerning all walks of society and uh, that's where it is so before we start off with the various topics that we want to talk about in the light of the covid-19 crisis just a quick disclaimer once again absolutely nothing that you hear in this podcast today is meant to be seen as any sort of financial advice Traditionally, with this podcast series, we have stayed away from talking about the uh, cryptocurrency aspect of blockchain technology or the market prices of Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. But uh, why this episode is slightly different is that we do think that it is sort of important uh, in a situation of this sort in the global economic climate that we currently have. It is important to look at Bitcoin from the perspective of where it Uh, stands as of today in terms of its market price compared to other assets because just to give a little bit of background you know as we know bitcoin was actually born right after the 2008 financial crisis and as we know the 2008 financial crisis exposed certain flaws that exist in the banking and the finance system that we have uh, adopted in the world today which is the fiat system of banking 
And 12 years later, as of today, we stand, you know, staring at another really large economic crisis, which is a lot like the 2008 crisis, but one would say probably it's looking to be 100 times worse. So it's important for us to take a look at how far Bitcoin has come in these 12 years. And as of right now in 2020, when you have a similar situation, uh, is Bitcoin proving to be something, you know, that that provides an alternative to problems that were exposed uh, after the 2008 crisis? It, does it appear to be a safe haven asset uh, in, in a situation like this, you know, where fiat system of, you know, or the fiat currencies seem to be under a lot of stress with all the money printing and all that? So for that reason, in this episode, we will be uh, discussing Bitcoin as a safe haven asset. And therefore, again, the disclaimer, anything that you hear, please don't take it as any sort of financial advice. We're just two people with our opinions. We are not financial advisors. So to start off, to just set the stage a little bit, we are in the middle of a financial storm, which is caused by two major factors as of right now. So number one, obviously, the coronavirus, uh, because of the crisis, as we know, a very large number of businesses have taken a hit uh, and just to look around yourselves for example people have stopped going to restaurants stopped going to movie theaters supply chains of all major businesses have been hit which effectively means that economies around the world have come to a screeching halt right i mean gdp growth has taken a massive hit and uh, it has also led to a major liquidity crisis around the globe so the, the second factor which is playing into, you know, whatever is going on right now is obviously the oil price war happening between Saudi and Russia, which uh, also is indirectly linked to the falling demand of oil due to the coronavirus crisis. And without going much into the details, to put it very briefly, uh, as the demand for oil was falling because of, you know, lesser transport, lesser travel, the different oil producing countries, they essentially look to come to an agreement as to how low they can go in terms of the price at which they would export oil to other countries. And uh, Saudi and Russia were supposed to sort of come to an agreement, but they could not. And as we know, oil is pretty much the life and blood of the Russian economy in terms of, you know, what it exports to the rest of the world. So uh, eventually it led to a situation where the two countries are at a price war and, you know, the, the price is on a sort of a free fall in, in the past few weeks or months. So as of right now, you know, it's somewhere around the 20s or 30s dollars price range. Uh, and uh, it is expected that it would even go into the teens, you know, uh, sometime in the coming weeks. So long story short, we are at a time where several of the world's currencies are likely to become uh, weaker against the dollar as of right now, because you have various non-banking entities around the world that have high levels of debt in US dollars. And uh, there is a serious threat of mass bankruptcies in the coming months uh, amidst a dollar liquidity crisis around the globe. The second factor that is at play here, of course, is that as various economies have slowed down, that means governments have, uh, would have to print massive amounts of new dollars to provide as stimulus to various industries or even pass on as direct handouts to their citizens or taxpayers. So just as an example, the US president just signed a bill for uh, a $2.2 trillion stimulus to give payouts to taxpayers. And this just happened like yesterday. And this is just the beginning. To, due to the uh, economic inactivity, eventually the government would need to bail out the airline industry, the cruise ship industry, and several other industries, along with giving payouts to tackle the massive rise in unemployment claims. So one can estimate that we are at the starting point of a process wherein the US would need to print trillions and trillions of new dollars in the coming months, which uh, in technical terms is nothing but infinite QE or infinite quantitative easing. Basically, what does this mean, right? I mean, it, it means that a few months down the line, your dollars in your bank account are going to become worth far lesser than what they're today, right? Which means basically that the prices of all the basic goods and services is going to go up which means that we are potentially staring at hyperinflation of the US currency by the end of the year. And this is not just going to happen with the US dollar, but with many more fiat currencies around the globe, because a lot of countries around the globe, they, they reserve their wealth in US dollars. With this being the status of where we stand today as a society, the focus has started to shift back on the hard macroeconomic questions that have been asked about fiat system of central banking 
So when your government can print massive amounts of new money out of thin air, where does that leave you as a common man? You know, you see your life savings lose its value almost immediately as new money gets printed, right? So this is where we come back to the conversation around precious metals such as gold and silver or a cryptocurrency such as Bitcoin being truly scarce commodities and, you know, therefore a much better store of value. The net amount of gold and silver on planet Earth is finite. The net amount of Bitcoins that will ever exist is 22 million. So unlike fiat currency, these are assets that cannot just be printed out of thin air. In a global economic climate such as what we have today, the proponents of Bitcoin would have expected that people would just flock to buy Bitcoin at this point and the price would just skyrocket. But instead, what has happened so far is that as the stock markets began to crash globally, Bitcoin fell in value from about $10,000 to upper $4,000. And as of today, March 29th, it remains at about mid $6,000. So one theory is that as large size investors started to incur heavy losses because of the crashing stock markets, they started to pull their money out of any high risk investments. And Bitcoin as of today still falls in the category of a high risk investment for the average investor. So with that being said, Nikhil, uh, what's your take on what's happening with Bitcoin right now? And, and how do you see this going forward? Hey, thanks, KK. So uh, I'd like to take a slightly uh, nuanced position on the uh, whole point about, you know, the quantitative easing in the US dollar. Uh, one of the things, like you correctly pointed out, is that, you know, it is a reserve currency and uh, a lot of uh, countries basically use it as a uh, as a reserve uh, for their uh, banks, so basically uh, buy the dollar and uh, keep it as, uh, uh, as their reserve. This actually makes it easier for the U.S. to keep printing out a lot of money because uh, the rest of the countries of the world would basically be obliged to buy up their currency in order to maintain their uh, gold reserves in the face of depreciation of the currency right so when the gold when the uh, dollar depreciates essentially all currencies that are pegged against the dollar also kind of uh, get affected and uh, this gives them a lot of room but uh, obviously it's not an infinite amount of room and you also have to balance the fact that okay as this is a global pandemic uh, the ability of all countries to uh, buy things and uh, uh, buy and sell things and produce things is uh, being affected uh, and the consumption of these things also is going to drop globally not just in the us so it becomes a whole lot more difficult for the uh, globe as a whole to avoid financial contraction and uh, the us being part of the globe would also naturally be part of that contraction uh, so yeah so while some of its effects can be mitigated i am skeptical as to whether uh, that would be uh, really enough to kind of uh, uh, avoid a recession of some sort. Now, the other aspect of this, uh, which is interesting, is the correlation with uh, uh, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. So one of the interesting things that we have noticed, uh, as you pointed out, is that the value of Bitcoin, uh, which theoretically should have gone up, if it was considered a store of value and uh, a, a a place where people would invest, an asset that people would invest in, in times of weakness in the global economy, uh, that has not turned out to be the case. Uh, we have seen that the cryptocurrencies are also affected by the global economy, just like the regular currencies and the value has fallen. Uh, so when in the beginning of the year, we, it was riding high at around $10,000, $11,000. It's fallen now. Uh, last I checked, it was at uh, $6,300 per Bitcoin. And uh, at one point, it had even dipped to, to below $4,000, right? So uh, there have been several uh, theories or postulates uh, made to explain this particular 
uh, discrepancy. Uh, I'll list a few of them. One is that, okay, the uh, this is an indication that uh, institutions, uh, financial institutions that had uh, made uh, small bets uh, uh, in the cryptocurrencies as a hedge uh, or a, as a speculative investment to try and uh, ride the wave of the Bitcoin, so to speak, uh, are now pulling their money out uh, to kind of meet their financial obligations in a contracting economy and uh, with with the prices of uh, futures and the prices of commodities going down. Uh, they're, they're basically having to uh, get cash. So one of the interesting things about cryptocurrencies is the fact that uh, you know unlike financial markets they operate 24 7 and uh, you can uh, call on them at any point to pull out and convert your uh, cryptocurrency into uh, uh, cash so that you can uh, meet your other obligations so the one speculation is that okay that's precisely what happened and people have uh, these financial institutions pulled out their money and as a, as a result uh, we see this drop. Uh, another uh, argument that has been made is that, you know, uh, that a lot of the cryptocurrency community uh, also happened to be overlap with the, uh, with the survivalist and, uh, you know, anarchist mindset. And uh, they are basically pulling out uh, their uh, cryptocurrency assets or selling their cryptocurrency assets to you know, buy uh, emergency supplies, emergency, and 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 do the uh, you know uh, set up their emergency uh, bunker, so to speak, <laughs> to hunker down for the coming apocalypse. So they, these are some of the explanations proffered. But regardless, the point uh, basically is that. It, the behavior of the cryptocurrency on a macro scale seems to kind of be just like any other currency and uh, it is experiencing sharp, dis uh, uh, rather not any other currency per se, but any other asset and it's experiencing sharp declines. To be fair, there have been shared declines in the value of gold as well, uh, though not as uh, uh, big as we're seeing in cryptocurrencies. Great. With that, let's actually move on to the next piece of the Bitcoin slash crypto slash blockchain puzzle, which is uh, CBDCs or as they are known, central bank digital currencies. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, a $2.2 trillion stimulus was just signed this week. And uh, prior to it being signed, there was a lot of talk about a possibility of the US government rolling out uh, its own CBDC to make payments to the US taxpayers. Uh, and the speculation was that the government would create some kind of uh, central service where people would have access to a digital wallet after they have verified their identity. And uh, the government would then be able to distribute money to the taxpayers through this wallet very quickly and efficiently. So this was the speculation, but the bill was signed earlier this week and the talks of uh, digital dollar did not really materialize into anything. Rather, the uh, government chose to go through the traditional route of giving money to people through uh, their bank accounts, at least for now, right? So two, three points I, I just wanted to mention uh, here. So with all this talk about various governments potentially rolling out their own national digital currencies or CBDCs uh, at the time of COVID, uh, the first point that, that I just want to make is that uh, this could actually be used as the perfect opportunity for governments to try and remove cash from the money supply. Uh, we know that there has been a sustained war on cash by all major governments in the world. Governments in general like to have more control over the citizens, uh, know where they're going, what they're spending money on, and they don't really like the anonymity that cash provides to people. So this could be used as the perfect opportunity to promote a cashless economy and provide people with some kind of uh, digital currency with digital wallets so that uh, the transactions are more or less the same way as cryptocurrencies, but every transaction from every wallet is completely traceable by the government. So that is one possibility. Mm, the second possibility I see with this is that if governments do roll out their CBDCs and provide digital wallets to their citizens, 
this could become the biggest onboarding exercise of introducing people to digital currencies and digital wallets so in the long run people may become a lot more familiarized with bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and in in the long run choose it over cbdc's or nationalized currencies so uh, nikhil what are your thoughts on that you know what what is the potential <laughs> pros and cons of of what could come out of this right so it looks like in this uh, uh, podcast i'm going to be the devil's advocate uh, just to uh, keep putting uh, uh, thorns in the side of your <laughs> your positive spin um, but uh, uh, one of the thoughts that occurred to me is that okay if you have and uh, with the pressure of the pandemic on you and all and people are convinced and uh, the governments can basically essentially corral people into signing away their privacy and signing away their financial thing and move to a cashless ecosystem and uh, you know we eventually i mean we are uh, all moved into it and the, the switch is flipped so to speak it becomes a whole lot more hard for uh, you to actually start using cryptocurrencies again you know because for for example uh, if you could basically use the digital currency route to transfer money uh, very quickly between uh, yourself and uh, your international family so international payment remittances uh, over digital currencies uh, and everybody has a digital wallet and it, uh, you can do you could conceive of apps being built that uh, do that transfer very quickly then uh, some of the more legitimate uh, use cases for uh, a blockchain uh, for a bitcoin or a cryptocurrency like bitcoin Uh, suddenly start becoming less uh, compelling and uh, then basically you only have the use cases around you know failing governments and uh, uh, you know illegal activities right and uh, from the perspective of the government uh, it becomes a lot easier for them to be able to track when you are actually moving uh, financial assets into cryptocurrencies and when you are uh, moving it back so it becomes almost a signal right that you are giving a, a social signal that hey i'm going to do something that i want uh, i want privacy on or i don't want people to know about and uh, uh, you know you could even have uh, conceive of a situation where the government start basically putting restrictions and bans in and being able to enforce those in a much more powerful manner because uh, they have that visibility uh, into these alternative currencies uh, and the money going in and out of it now that's one one way of looking at it another way of looking at it would be that okay like you very correctly pointed out now i have a digital wallet on my phone uh, and i've started uh, having to use that all the time because that's how the financial system works now and uh, i'm used to basically transferring money digitally from a to b and Uh, everywhere i go i can use the uh, uh, digital wallet that i have then basically conceivably becomes much easier for a cryptocurrency to release a, a wallet app that uh, just like the one on my phone that is there already and kind of use the similar user interface so that you know uh, i can they can onboard people much easier so the onboarding story and the challenges that cryptocurrencies face today of uh, user friendliness of their apps and things like that become less of a problem so yeah so this is this is my two cents on that great i mean all very valid points that you've made uh, with regard to uh, lesser privacy with uh, cbdc's and uh, you know it would become a lot easier for the government to target to and to identify you know what you're doing with your money if you are moving it into any sort of crypto based assets my only counter to to this would be uh, you know or, or rather my bullish case still for bitcoin and crypto would be that in the long run even if let's say cbdc's were to ro- to be rolled out unless and until crypto was completely outlawed 
I do see that uh, you know eventually the the fact that you know we we are having to print a bunch of new dollars uh, out of thin air, and uh, we have just begun. God knows so, when. To, uh, not to inject into to to put a fine point to it. You don't have to print anymore. You don't even have to print anymore. You're just updating a number in a ledger, and sure. the government can keep adding zeros to that number as as easily as I mean as much as they want. And I, I get your point on that, uh, but the counterpoint basically, is, my my counterpoint basically is that it becomes much easier to outlaw and enforce outlawing digital currency than it was when cash was still available. Because conceivably, in in the early days, you still have the use case where you could basically go with cash to a person uh, somewhere and give him the cash and get bitcoin right uh, get a private key or some equivalent of that where you had direct transfer of money right that's going to be a lot harder now absolutely yeah i mean uh, like you very correctly said you know if if the governments were to outlaw bitcoin and cryptocurrency tomorrow uh, this would make it a whole lot easier for them to enforce this uh, and you know to to scare away the people because now you you won't have the option of the anonymous cash you know to to go about you know, buying any sort of crypto asset. Right, so, unless you already had some in the first place. Sure, sure. Point taken. So, great. I think, uh, I mean, eventually I think it remains to be seen how this is going to play out. <laughs> mm. And, uh, yeah, we'll just wait and watch what happens this year. Yeah. So, uh, sorry, sorry, just just one more uh, slight uh, thing. I know I'm conscious of time. I'll make it quick. Uh, one other scenario that could play out right is that you would have uh, bitcoin and the regular cash coexisting right so you have uh, things like where okay uh, people start saying that okay pay me uh, people living entirely in the bitcoin ecosystem right where they say okay i don't want to use regular money anymore just use bitcoin right and that becomes a whole lot easier if there is a uh, digital ecosystem already in place and people are used to digital wallets so it becomes easier for me to convince uh, I don't know my uh, local grocery store person to say okay here's an app you install this app and I'll give you this particular alternative currency and you give me uh, my groceries uh, in in terms of that alternative currency and that's a completely independent transaction doesn't get tracked by the IRS but the point being, uh, the point over there essentially is that at no point will you be able to convert it back into your regular currency because there's no anonymous means anymore to do that, right? So all the people in that ecosystem would have to live entirely off-grid. It's almost like, you know, you're another nation. Absolutely. I completely agree with the, the point that you've made. And to be, I mean, and before we end this segment, you know, <laughs> to be, uh, you know, just a little bit to just go back into history. I think when Bitcoin actually began, it sort of was this sort of this uh, individual network in itself. And, you know, people who are basically uh, paying each other in Bitcoin, you know, let's, let's say you met somebody at a gas station and, you know, they, they, they filled up gas for you. You would just pay them. Uh, you would just ask them, you know, to install this app and, you know, you would transfer this much Bitcoin into their wallet. So it sort of began like that. But then as Bitcoin became a much bigger organism, uh, you got all these centralized exchanges and you got means to convert your fiat money into Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. So, uh, like you very correctly said, uh, you know, if if it were to operate as this completely independent uh, network, where it would just not have any sort of uh, dealing with the fiat system, then I guess it would still work. Uh, but again, you know, uh, we don't really know, you know, what uh, how how far the governments can go in terms of you know uh, enforcing uh transparency with regard to what people are doing with uh, cryptocurrencies or whether they're dealing in any sort of digital assets whether they require you to declare it on your tax form or whatever it be right so so ultimately it is social acceptance right so it's basically you can build as 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 independent a uh ecosystem as you want but if any if if the people in your ecosystem ultimately have to deal with the larger society and larger society basically requires them to use uh you know the government currency then at some point that demand will come up and 
uh, you'll have that sticking point over there. So it it I think that was what uh, happened also in the early days, right? In the early days, only the enthusiasts were playing, and you know they were doing gas and sending pizzas and all of that, and uh, it was fine. But it was never going to be accepted by larger society until unless there was some kind of conversion into a currency like a dollar, right? And uh, when that happened you immediately start getting into this so yeah so it's it's always going to be that balancing act i guess great points so yes so moving on from the uh, financial aspect or the cryptocurrency aspect of blockchain tech to some of the other applications at this time of uh, coronavirus outbreak uh, the most glaringly obvious problem right now is that of broken medical supply chain so uh, just to put things in perspective, uh, let's start off by looking at what has exactly happened to the medical supply chain because of the coronavirus outbreak and what the problem is at hand that, that we're dealing with. So one of the main aspects of COVID-19 uh, as a disease is that unlike some of the other viral outbreaks that we have had in the past, COVID-19 spreads far, far easier from one person to another. And it is also far deadlier than some of the other flus that we have had in the past. So uh, what has happened in the past uh, weeks and months worldwide is that the number of people who have contracted the virus has grown very rapidly. And uh, the number of those people who require hospitalization uh, is far higher than what we have seen in the past. So uh, obviously this has led to a situation where there is a serious shortage of all the most essential medical supplies. Uh, everything from gloves, uh, masks, face shields, uh, all of these come under PPEs or personal protective equipments, to hospital beds and even ventilators. So now, due to the nature of this uh, virus and how it spreads, uh, we are in a situation where countries have had to enforce uh, complete lockdowns. Uh, international as well as domestic travel completely has been blocked in many places. Uh, so in a nutshell, you know, a complete disruption of uh, nearly all forms of transport and travel, you know, th that we can imagine. So uh, just to give an idea, uh, in a place like the US, uh, most hospitals are tackling COVID uh, as of today are running on like four to five days of remaining supplies of PPEs and uh, not nearly enough ventilators at hospitals uh, if the you know, number of cases continue to rise as per the current trend. So we have a situation, you know, right now where states in the US are bidding against each other to procure whatever existing PPEs are there for their hospitals. So uh, in a situation like this, uh, healthcare services are looking to procure these equipments from any and every place that they can possibly get at this point. So uh, now you have a challenge of uh, not knowing if somebody can produce the required number of PPEs, uh, if they can produce it in time, or if they would be able to match the quality standards that they need to. and. Uh, when it comes to the fact that all different countries are governed by different regulations, the US has the FDA, which has one set of standards, the, EU, uh, the EU has another. Since there is no central body or entity of any sort that is globally monitoring this or keeping a track of all the parts of the supply chain, you have many different pain points, you know, which uh, bring in delays, inefficiencies and uncertainties at a, at a time of crisis like this. So just to mention a few of the key areas. Number one, you know, let's say if uh, you had a blockchain-based system that keeps a track of the reputation or credibility of all the suppliers around the globe, uh, if they can produce a certain amount of product in a given period of time, or if the supplier has a reputation of meeting the required quality standards. So if all of this data was available on a tamper-proof database, such as a blockchain, it would make it much easier for a hospital or a local government to make a decision to procure the product from that given supplier. Or uh, to look at another use case of customs clearances or another one such as tracking the entire movement of a product through the supply chain. If all of this data was stored on a transparent and tamper-proof blockchain, it would make the process of procurement a lot more efficient at a time like this. So all of this, of course, you know, it's, it's not very easy to implement. Is there any project or effort to solve these problems right now in the middle of the COVID crisis? Uh, none that I can think of or none that I know of. So yeah, I mean, but for the future, it would surely help to create systems, you know, where such information is available on a blockchain. So uh, Nikhil, do you have any thoughts on, you know, what? Uh, 
Right. So, uh, KK, in terms of the uh, supply chain, right, uh, one of the distressing things that is happening is the increased, increasing nationalism and, uh, you know, uh, isolation that the governments are actually doing where they are uh, looking more and more inward and uh, uh, blocking supplies to uh, other countries in need. Uh, at this time, and uh, this has only exasperated the the problems. Uh, this is a, definitely not a, in my opinion, uh, enlightened kind of a move because what essentially you are doing is that even though you are trying to, uh, even though it it uh, solves the problem, maybe your uh, it, it helps your problem right now. Uh, all it does is uh, move, uh, even if you solve your, uh, cure your own population currently of the coronavirus uh, and, and uh, eliminate it there, by not helping out countries in need or other countries in need, even though you have eliminated the virus in your own country, the fact that the other countries have it still means that you can potentially face a second wave. Right. So it is definitely, in my opinion, very short sighted and uh, wrong headed on the part of the global leaders to uh, in this particular situation, start looking inward and, uh, you know, stop uh, uh, acting in a coordinated manner. And uh, definitely blockchains can help. We actually did a episode on uh, uh, the uh, uh, applications of blockchain in healthcare, uh, episode 10. You can find it in BC Dialogues uh, earlier uh, and where we looked at uh, both supply chain as well as other areas where blockchains can help in terms of uh, like things like, uh, you know, uh, your uh, medical record and stuff like that. There's another uh, aspect to this which is very concerning uh, is essentially the status of uh, refugees in all of this, right? So you have uh, uh, populations like uh, large populations of refugees in Syria, in the Middle East, in Sudan. There's so, there's so many places where there are refugees and uh, they already have very limited uh, health care and are definitely not in a position to be able to uh, manage uh, uh, something like a coronavirus situation. And uh, yeah, there's very little thought being given at this point to uh, their uh, situation, which uh, could potentially uh, lead to uh, this epidemic lasting uh, longer than it needs to. Great point. And uh, I think, you know, this this sort of pulses uh, towards uh, a larger uh, question about you know uh, the healthcare system in in the world as 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 we see yeah, it today. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, uh, I mean, one would one would think that you know the World Health Organization should be given uh, a little more say and a little more power in what they do, uh, and I think uh, that's something that uh, we should definitely start exploring and seeing if we can help out there with blockchains. Great. So moving on, uh, there's another use case that I did want to mention and uh, with some positive news. So uh, just yesterday, the World Health Organization announced that it is partnering with uh, IBM uh, to create a blockchain-based solution called uh, MiPasa, spelled as uh, M-I-P-A-S-A. So MiPasa is described as a COVID-19 information highway, which is meant to capture large amounts of testing data from different parts of the world. And uh, with the help of various data analytics tools, uh, you would be able to find any inconsistencies in the data that's uh, made available. So uh, you have many major entities like Microsoft, John Hopkins University, uh, China's National Health Commission, and many others who are a part of this project. So Nikhil, any thoughts on you know how, how you see this working out? So yeah, so this is actually a very good uh, idea in uh, my opinion, because uh, like in uh, in any pandemic or any kind of epidemic, it's all about being able to get a good handle on the data. So epidemics tend to follow a uh, exponential curve. And from a macro perspective, that uh, there are some very, very well thought out mathematical characteristics of an epidemic or a pandemic. And uh, 
by having good numbers and good statistics, the World Health Organization and health professionals and epidemiologists can basically plan and manage the outcomes uh, at a macro scale uh, for such a disease and kind of help control and fight it in a more effective manner. So uh, I am quite glad that, you know, uh, you know, people like IBM and the uh, Microsoft and all of uh, these large organizations are getting together with WHO uh, to work on uh, on MIPASA. Another use case that I sort of read about in multiple articles in the past few weeks was about China using blockchain technology to, you know, manage the charities and donations that are being made in in the light of the whole coronavirus uh, crisis, you know, to to the patients. So uh, I I guess that is another area that, you know, where uh, the charities and donations can be managed a little bit better with blockchain tech. Can you shed some light on that? Sure. So this is actually uh, uh, comes out of a Cointelegraph article that I was reading. Uh, So China has been uh, aggressively following blockchain and uh, uh, looking at blockchain technology. In fact, it was one of their uh, uh, major uh, economic goals in 2019 uh, uh, to kind of uh, become a leader in blockchain technology. And you, you had the central bank in China also very aggressively pursuing the creation of a CBDC uh, central bank uh, currency, digital currency, and bringing it out uh, by using blockchain, leveraging blockchains. So some of the largest payment providers, a couple of, uh, so the payment providers in uh, China are uh, uh, interesting. So there is a lot of digital payments in China, mobile to mobile payments. And uh, it's driven by mainly two companies. One is known as Alipay uh, and uh, the other is WeChat. Both of, it's basically a duopoly between these two uh, companies. And uh, they've already they've already started building up uh, blockchain consortiums and uh, making available blockchain infra- infrastructure using their platforms for people to use for businesses to use in the blockchain to leverage as as the blockchain ecosystem and build a blockchain ecosystem so uh one of the things that they did over there uh, they basically had partnerships with charity organizations to sign up and uh, basically uh, uh, allowed people who donated through their platform to track exactly which areas in the country had these outbreaks and required specific material, uh, specific you know medical supplies or uh, masks and uh, uh, pharmaceuticals and things and basically showed them where that money that they uh, that they donated would go through because they were able to uh, connect these uh, charities over the blockchain uh, and see where that where that money was basically deployed Right, so uh, this is definitely a great example of how trust can be improved and transparency can be improved in uh, uh, what has been uh, traditionally a pretty opaque uh, kind of a uh, ecosystem, uh, the charities ecosystem, and specifically there was some mention about the Chinese Red Cross uh, having had some scandals and uh, being not so well trusted by the Chinese public and uh, this this basically allowed charities to therefore bring in the transparency to improve the trust. Uh, There have been other use cases as well in China where uh, the government have been uh, working with these providers to leverage their blockchain infrastructure and uh, I think uh, this is a very good one where it's specifically aimed at coronavirus, but there were some uh, use cases around uh, 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 tracking the supply of masks and the production and demand for masks uh, in in the uh, in China to uh, so that the deployment of these uh, vital supplies could be uh, made to the right places. Great. So uh, another use case that we just wanted to quickly discuss was uh, about this news coming from UAE about uh, the government there using uh, digital identity solutions to fight COVID problems. So 
Nikhil, can you shed some light on you know what what's happening sure. over there? Sure. So this is out of Dubai actually, and Dubai has uh, really heavily embraced blockchain for the past few years now, and they've actually had hackathons and things, and uh, they've basically spent a lot of uh, effort and money into making their uh, streamlining their government processes and uh, bringing it into a blockchain so one of their efforts uh, as part of this was uh, from the ministry of the community development and uh, essentially what it allows is that they created a chatbot uh, that allows people to authenticate their certificates and other documents electronically right so there have been several i think around 2000 documents that uh, that uh, are that can be authenticated uh, certificates and document types that can be authenticated and uh, sent uh, using the system so now this is where basically spread with the spread of the covid 19 that they are kind of leveraging that and that is basically uh, the ministry of uh, social welfare and the ministry of community development basically say saying that you know uh, they are now stopping uh, no they're completely eliminating paper documents for uh, services like applications for uh, for marriage uh, for any of their various uh, government services if 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 there is a need for some kind of documentation it can it can now be sent electronically rather than having to people to come to their uh, customer center and uh, manually validate it so this way uh, it allows the customer to stay at home reach out with their requirements and uh, provide their documentation and get the approvals without actually having to go physically to the location now one of the challenges with this uh, immediate problems with this obviously is the problem of fraud and uh, impersonation so that actually is handled uh, very interestingly through what is known as the UAE pass app so there is an app that they have created which provides digital identity and signature so this particular app is downloaded onto your phone and it allows users to sign their documents digitally and uh, it basically kind of ties your uh, phone and your signature your thumbprint and your biometrics to the uh, emirates uh, national identity card uh, and and then basically uh, the app basically has your national identity card details as well as your phone number as well as your biometrics and uh, you can use that basically to then sign any document it's available as a digital signature that can be appended to the document and sent so uh, it kind of helps eliminate any kind of paper transactions so i think that sort of covers the most important blockchain projects that are immediately relevant to the whole covid situation around the globe uh, nikhil any uh, quick closing thoughts before we wrap up right so uh, aside from the whole cryptocurrency kind of thing uh, this i think is a uh, opportunity for people to start looking at their current manual processes in much stronger detail the much more skeptical eye and uh, trying to see if they can actually truly eliminate uh, some of these uh, in in favor of digital uh, solutions now the question basically then arises is okay uh, why have they still continue to be manual because digital solutions have been around for a while now most of them being centralized and uh, i think uh, the main challenge over there was the centralized nature of those solutions also made them vulnerable uh, to you know uh, manipulation hacks etc etc and uh, with the blockchain now you have the potential to move to a more robust resilient system it's not completely eliminate hacking and all that but it definitely makes it a lot harder and uh, it definitely makes it uh, a lot more feasible uh, to kind of uh, make provide the kind of trust that uh, people want to have uh, with uh, digital processes where which 
they they are currently getting only when they manually go and face to face with somebody and uh, you know uh, make sure that things are the way they are what way the way it is said right so yeah i think this is this is definitely one of those places where uh, we will basically see where uh, how how blockchains can be uh, can be applied to help humanity but at the same time i also want to recognize the fact that you know uh, salute the fact that we are uh, essentially in a war with a very powerful and uh, invisible opponent and the front lines of the war uh, are the brave healthcare professionals and medical professionals who are risking their lives uh, and uh, it, it, if you look at the statistics uh, healthcare professionals have a disproportionately higher chance of getting the disease uh, in its most virulent form and its most dangerous lethality uh, than the normal population and despite all this we have these brave people coming in every day and saving lives so uh, uh, at the end of the day all of us are sitting are able to sit here uh, and you know do our digital podcast and sit uh, with our uh, uh, with our internet uh, and and make these things uh, because these brave folks are going out into the world and it's not just the medical professionals it's also you know the people who maintain the internet uh, the field engineers the field technicians the uh, our farmers the people who are creating the food and uh, and and uh, the distributors uh, who are transporting this and bringing it to our uh, doorstep all of them are people who are key resources to keep our economy and our countries uh, uh, functioning uh, and in in some form of manner and uh, we should be truly grateful uh, that they are around and they are still working all right folks that concludes our podcast we hope that you found this special episode on covid-19 useful you can subscribe to this podcast on itunes google play spotify or you can also learn more about us on bcdialogues.com thanks again for joining see you next time